as Pastor Nate said, I'm a, a FIFO chaplain for BHP up in Port Hedland. But prior to that, um, I was a chaplain in the court system for the young female offenders of the state. And prior to that, I worked at UWA Medicine as the pastoral care worker um, and administrator for graduate medicine. So the diversity that I've had the opportunity to experience has shown to me that people are people and we all breathe and we all have mental health. If we have breath, we have mental health. The thing that saddens me is that when we use the words mental health, there's the inference that it's poor. But mental health is good, bad and ugly. And because we have breath, we have mental health and we have our good days and our bad days. And life is so full and glorious. But the reality is, is it's tough. It's really tough. It's, as my dad said to me when I was growing up, it's like a heartbeat. It's up and down, up and down. And we need to learn the skills and the strategies to ride the highs and the lows. And we all experience all of them in our lives. And they're all adventures that can't be prescribed or predicted. So how do we, how do we make ourselves resilient for those highs, for those lows, and for those in-betweens? So in COVID during this time, I was speaking to Pastor Nate about this, there's a, a new um, conditioning that's come out and it's not a diagnosis and in the mental health sphere called languishing. And what that is, it's, it, what that is, is, is that you're not high, you're not low, you're in between, that you are nothing to look forward to. It just is that saying, it is what it is. And haven't we all said that about COVID so much? And don't we all dislike it now <laughs> because of its overuse? So that languishing where everyone's just doing, there's no goal setting, there's no excitement. So we're not experiencing the highs, but we are experiencing the lows and that void that we have of languishing. So we are also fearfully and wonderfully made and we're all eclectically put together as a part of the jigsaw of community. And I want to resonate some of the things that Adrian say, that we community and that sense of belonging, that is so important. And when COVID entered our world, it was, the change was thrust upon us. It wasn't at our own hand and it was without our awareness and our consent. So it continu continues to challenge us in our lifestyle and in our personal change. Now change is really, really difficult and stressful and only 13% of us go, pick me for change. <laughs> I'll take it. You said that, I'm following you. There's 40% of us that come behind and go, okay, a little bit more information, I'm with you. And then there's another 40% that go, oh, yeah, I need a little bit more, a little bit more cajoling, a little bit more hand on the back. And then the rest is, don't even look at me, I'm not coming with you, you're wasting your time. So change is not a natural thing for us as humans. And it can be stressful and challenging. And because of its uncertainty and its risk and fear, and we go from being this comfortable state to this unknown, and it causes different discomfort in us in social structures and established habits and working norms, and it affects our psychological safety. So where we feel safe psychologically is where we like to go to. And change is a process, so it is that journey. And we can't flip a switch and expect ourselves to know how it's going to look and how the change is going to look. Who of us knew that we'd be in this position two years later? We all thought, how many of us were saying, oh, by Christmas? Last Christmas, we'll be done and dusted, everything will be fine, but we're still dealing with this issue. And it's become very much a part of our life, very much a part of our psychological safety, and very much a part of our conversation. So we can't flip that switch. 
switch. We must allow ourselves to be guided through the transition from our current state to our future state. And what does that future state look for us as individuals and as, as families and as communities? So how do we become more resilient in light of the change? And particularly when the change is not a, a, at our own hand and it's come upon us unexpectedly. So there's three areas I want to share with you today about what we actually can have in control to make ourselves more resilient and to manage our own personal capacity with those around us. Now my work environment, I fly up to Port Hedland every single week and I live on a camp with a thousand men and 185 women. <laughs> so I deal with a lot of men. So I'm out and about, I, I um, go under, I work in Port Hedland and that's a rail and port um, city. And so I'm under gantries with trains, I'm on trains with men and women. We have women train drivers and women in, in BHP working in those capacities as heavy diesel fitters and things. But I have the honour to be with them. And you know, when I have a six foot five man sitting before me, weeping and sharing his story, what an honour that is. But for them to come to that place, particularly for men, that's a very big internal journey that has gone on. And to, to carry that person, no matter whether it's male or female, but to be very, very generous of mercy and kindness, and for them to show that gentleness, is a game changer, as Adrian has said, and you're listening. So in my role as a chaplain, which is different to counselling, counselling is that you go for change, so you go and see a counsellor to put strategies in for change. As a chaplain, I come to, be, to provide a guided, supported conversation in a safe place for people. To prevent the rumination that, and the catastrophizing that Adrian was speaking about, particularly in FIFO, where people are, their sense of belonging is starting to fragment because they're in that change of coming and going consistently. So that community that they, they struggle with, they're away from their family of origin and that impacts them greatly. So the three elements that I, I share with them and I'd like to share with you today, that we actually do have some control over to encourage our own resilience so that when the ups and downs come, we can, we can surf those waves with a lot more smoothness. So the first one is self-comfort. So self-comforting is the ability to calm yourself when faced with a stressful situation or when in a state of high arousal. So that means when we're confronted with something and we're put at risk, we have a flight, 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 fight and freeze response. And we'd like to think that we would respond in a particular way. But sometimes we don't know until we're there. And then we might surprise ourselves in our, our response. The second one is self-compassion. That is, entails being warm and understanding towards yourself when you suffer, when you fail, or you feel inadequate. Rather than ignoring your pain or flagellating yourself with self-criticism, which we often do, we're really hard on ourselves. We're the people that beat ourselves up every time internally in our minds. And we're harsher than any critic around us, our own critic. So when this, this reality is denied or fought against, suffering increases in a form of stress, frustration and criticism. But the third one that I really would like to expand with you today is self-care. And that's another annoying, annoying phrase that we've all used over COVID. <laughs> but I actually believe that it's actually misunderstood because we confuse it with self-comfort and self-compassion. 
But self-care is actually your lifestyle, how you live your life. It means taking care of yourself so you can stay healthy and accomplish all the things you want to and that you need to do. And some of the benefits are greater capacity to manage stress, increased resilience, reduced symptoms on mental health issues. Self-care is actually our responsibility. And, and, and others can care for us, but we need to invest in ourselves so we can invest in others as well. So we give out of that cup of a fullness so that we can give to others rather than from a place of depletion. So meeting your own needs first before you meet the needs of others. So it's ongoing and it's a journey that is filled with learning experiences. But this is the downside. We never arrive at the destination. <laughs> we never get to where we've arrived. And we go, I'm, I'm here, I've, I've, I've nailed this. Because whilst we're living again, we're trying to figure it out because of the things that come and hit us and so the circumstances may sometimes need, we need to reset and readjust our self-care according to those. So that's a frustrating element. We never arrive. So self-care has actually got five components to it, which is the first one is physical, which is our body. And our body craves care and it, it craves movement, as Adrian has said. And as your schedule becomes really, really increasingly full, the first thing we stop doing is looking after our physical selves. The exercise stops or the poor sleeping starts or, and, and your body is often the first thing to neglect. So to truly take, take care of yourself, you must um, prioritise movement that your body decides. Now, as Adriana said as well, that movement takes forms in whatever you enjoy. There's no point in going to the gym if you're just despising it. I'm not a bit of a gym person. I like to walk. I walk about eight k's a day. So yeah, I love to walk and that's a dual purpose. But some people like to swim and play cricket and, and some people love the gym and, and some people just move your body. Just keep it moving for its well-being and for its longevity as well. So to take care of your, your, your bodies is about your, is about your nutrition. And we all have great nutrition days and we all have bad nutrition days. I live on a mining site. Every meal is a buffet. The struggle is real. Let me tell you, every single meal, and it's cooked by chefs. The struggle is very real. Every single meal. It is, yeah, we all talk about it. It's actually a big topic of conversation. Keeping that line at bay. <laughs> But drinking water is part of your self-care. However, how many of us are aware of about our um, water intake to keep ourselves hydrated? If we're not hydrated, we can have, um, develop headaches and tiredness and crankiness. Exercise, of course, sunlight. That's so important to our being. It, it increases the, um, the endorphins in our brain, the happiness that we feel. It also combats vitamin D um, deficiency. Sleep, be aware of how you're sleeping and how much you're sleeping. We, as an adult, we sleep between six and nine hours a day. Just because I might need seven doesn't mean six is, in, is inappropriate for someone or is nine inappropriate for someone. It's about learning your body and your body's needs in accordance. And I love this one. For me physically, I just love to laugh really, really loudly and make my whole body jiggle. <laughs> and that is part of my physical self-care. It has an impact on me and it has an impact on my brain and the impact of the hormones in my brain. The, the second element of self-care is our emotional self-care. So being aware 
of yourself and your emotional needs. This embraces self-love. Now that's a really big one for us culturally and in society. We, we struggle with our self-love and we struggle with how that looks for all of us. And particularly as Australians, we, we don't like the tall poppy syndrome. So if we express a form of self-love in a vocal form, people are quick to, to judge us or tell us, oh, that, you know, that's not appropriate here. But it's important that we do love who we are as people and the vehicle that takes us through life and what that looks life like. And about coming to a place of peace with who you are in the present because we change with our mental health, good, bad and not so good. Our emotional situation changes and it's hard to love ourselves when we're not in a great space. But it's important to love ourselves to help us move to back into a better place of our mental health. So setting boundaries for yourself is imperative because it, it's having control and ownership of your life and actually having ownership of your own happiness. And often we um, give away our, our play card for our happiness and say, you make me feel this. Well, our own happiness is rests upon ourselves. We take ownership of our emotions, but what we do is we disempower ourselves by making someone else powerful by how we feel. So it's very, very important. So you allow people to infringe on your value system. That impedes on your emotional well-being. And it can make you feel depressed, anxious, and make you feel spread too thin. Because if you're a person that struggles with boundaries and, doesn't, and, and can't, doesn't have the capacity to say no when you should say no, it can spread you too thin and it impacts your emotional well-being. One of the main things is to stay connected to those that you love. That feeds into your emotional well-being, being connected. And again, it's that sense of belonging. So when it, particularly with FIFO workers, it impacts on this sense of belonging and it fragments. So they're moving in and out and they're not with their family and it fragments. So staying connected, however that looks, whether and with, with technology, which has been our um, saving grace during COVID, making sure that you do stay. It's easier than ever to stay connected than when you belong um, to those that you love. The third element of self-care is intellectual. Now, it's within our nature as human beings. We're innovators, we're creative, we're artists, we're problem solvers, we're engineers, writers, decorators, chefs, poets, actors, scientists, and a myriad of other things. And it involves creativity as well. So embrace your creative side. I noticed this became really evident for me when I had my first son who's now 26 and going to make me a grandmother, which is against my wishes. <laughs> not be just because it's a reflection of how old I am, not because I don't want my grandchild. <laughs> but when I had him, I'd, I was an accountant prior to I'd moved into this field of work. And I was at home and I was going, you know, when, you, when you're at home full time or you have a big holiday, the shine comes off really quickly and, and cabin fever set in around three months and I went, oh my gosh, this is not as ideal or fabulous as I thought. And I went and studied. So I thought, oh yes, I'll just pick something I'm interested in. So I went and studied addiction counselling recovery. <laughs> just something a little light, something a little insane. And I looked at my husband halfway through and went, what am I doing? What was I thinking? But what it was, was my intellect was, was in a lull and that puts you at risk. So the intellect covers the creativity. So it can be just 
rejuzhing your house. It can be creative cooking a meal. It doesn't have to be as profound as going and doing an insane and addiction recovery counselling <laughs> degree. No, it doesn't have to be as crazy as that. But it can be just your every day, enjoying the aesthetics around you and what that looks like and creating that space for you, listening to TED Talks, reading, however that is, just embracing that, listening to music, writing, journaling. Whatever works for yourself in that space where you feel that you are intellectually stimulated and fulfilled. So the fourth one is social. So friendship is incredibly powerful. At best it can build you up. It can provide you with a sense of love and community. It can increase the amount of fun you experience and create a reliable support network. And at worst, it can be toxic. So it's about having the emotional intelligence to know those that aren't and having the grace to release those friendships that are not your cheerleaders, that are dragging you down, that can't cheer you on no matter what you're going through, the good, the bad, the ugly, that can't, don't have your back. And that you, and it's not reciprocal, so that you can reciprocate that as well. Toxic friendships can um, lead you away from your value system. It can um, negatively impact your trajectory of life. And I can not say, just to use this as an example, when I came out of school many years ago, when university was free, some of you wouldn't understand that concept, <laughs> I said I wanted to study social work and my father said to me, don't be so ridiculous, you're going to get married and have children. I took his advice. I didn't go to university. I should have. Exactly, I should have. But it impacted the trajectory of my life. I've landed where I should be as a chaplain, but it, I had to go round instead of having a direct pathway. Now, I'm not upset with my dad with that because he still had the best intentions for me and everything at that time. And I was, I was young and I came to him asking what I should do. So... I still had um, the decision for myself. But in regard to social, volunteering is a great way to meet minded people. And um, it expands your social world, at least social world, at least when you're with volunteering, you know that people have the same value system as you, you've got the same vision, you've got the same purpose in life, and that sense of belonging is very, very strong there. And it gives you that sense of purpose and fulfilment. So. That's a really great way for you to tap into a new community, particularly if you are um, new to a community, to volunteer. Put your hand up and say, I'd love to do that, and, and you get that support network around you. The last element of self-care is spiritual. So how, do we, how we all engage and encounter spirituality is as individual as we are. At the centre of our being, we all have a knowing. We know who we are, and we know what we need and we know what we want. Spiritual self-care takes a lot of different forms and frames works. You can connect with nature, practice gratitude, pray, affirmations, meditations, reflection or contemplation, or simply just enjoying in silence. I'm, because I work in the field with people, silence, I love it. The more I can get of it, the more I feel filled and impacted just being still and just being sitting with myself. 
It can also be acts of compassion and, of course, attending and participating in a religious or um, spiritual community. So there's it. So why is self-care so hard? Why are we so bad at it? Why, do, why is it so difficult? Why do we never come to a place where we go, I've arrived? Why is it always so fluid? In your 20s, you're fabulous. In your 30s, you're falling apart. You know, why? Because <laughs> we think it's not important. We actually think it's not important and it can be quite misplaced that we think it's not important. Because the greatest gift you give yourself, your partnership, your workplace, your community is a whole you. That is your gift to self. But our bodies are so resilient and we can neglect ourselves for a really, really long time and keep chugging along. And we treat ourselves like an entertainment centre. And this centre here in the middle seemed to be able to do without negative consequence for quite a while. And we don't realise it's taking its toll. So my husband, we go out for coffee. He's an iced coffee man with ice cream and cream with a side of a vanilla slice. <laughs> I am a skinny flat white or almond milk with a raw dessert or a raw protein bowl. <laughs> but that's just the diversity of us all. And we do treat ourselves and we don't realise that every choice and action does take an effect. There's a causal effect with everything that we do and everything that we say. And there's a responsibility with that. So even the incremental additions that hardly even register, they add up. But there is a time where they become obvious. And we don't make the connection between our choices and their results often. So we don't think it's important. Another reason we find it really, really, really hard is we're told that self-care is selfish and that it's misplaced. That's a misplaced emotion. It tries to make you feel guilty and it's hard to fit into your life. And there's so many, we should be doing this, we should be doing that, but taking a walk for 20 minutes, I can do that later, but who knows it doesn't happen. Another reason is we actually don't know how. So I had this bright idea up on the mine sites. One of the um, engineers came up to me and said, Ali, come on, I'm starting this keto diet and will you join with me? I went, yeah, I'm on board, I'm on board. Let's start next week. I went home over the weekend, looked up what a keto diet was <laughs> and went, I'm not that insane. <laughs> Who am I kidding? That's incredibly crazy. I'm Italian. That is not sustainable for me. I like, you know, unfortunately I have to manage my carbs, but you know, come on, that's the other end of the spectrum for me. No carbs at all and lots of fats. We actually don't know how. We are bombarded with stuff. And we're bombarded and people give their opinions in assistance to us, but we still have to work it out for ourselves. The keto diet is not for me. I had to go back for her and say, it's not for me. Two weeks later, she said, it's not for me. <laughs> but the other reason is we confuse our self-care with comfort. I'm going to do some self-care. I'm going to have a bubble bath. But self-care is every day. It's lifestyle. Self-comfort has a place. It certainly has a place, as Adrian has said, definitely has a place, as I've spoke with earlier. And the other reason we don't do it is we want someone else to do it. Please, can you just do it for me? 
The great thing though about that is that that can be an accountability. You can bring people in for accountability and that's an assistance with you with your self-care. I have self-care accountability partners. They're harsh. <laughs> and I'm thinking about dropping them. <laughs> but they're there. Yay for me. <laughs> so they're the reasons, some of the reasons why self-care is so difficult for us. So in a nutshell, it's about learning what contributes to your own health and well-being. It's actually trial and error. And there's no right and wrong. But there are times when you feel on top of your self-care and other moments in time where your self-care is just a plain struggle. Having the understanding that going along with the learning journey of self-care, there's going to be obstacles. So remember, so remember to be kind to yourself and comfort yourself along the process. Thank you. Why don't we thank Ali? We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Lift Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.